And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. You know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. You know, I just saw this article, Eric, that Phil Nicholson, was it a tweet or something on social media, whatever, uh, but he was on social media yesterday, and with all the fantasy football and football betting and everything else, and mm. he just said he warned everybody to be careful because uh, he crossed the line into addiction. It's the really the most public that he's been on it. I mean, it's been out there for years. He's a gambler. Uh, ah, uh, yeah. Walters wrote yeah. that mix. This is a, the the book that was written uh, by the. Um, here it is. Uh, Phil Mickelson addressed his. Post-gambling habits with his longest statement since details of his extensive betting were made public in a new book uh, by notorious uh, Vegas gambler uh, Billy Walters. The six-time major champion said in a statement on Monday that he won't be betting this year because I crossed the line of moderation into addiction, which isn't any fun at all. Walters wrote that Mickelson formed a gambling partnership with him that lasted five years, and during that time... The golfer racked up $100 million in losses. I'm sorry, what? Now, the other one was, the other one in the book, I don't see it here. And we never addressed it a couple of weeks ago where it said he either, because that was just in that five-year period. But I think in the book it was stating $1 billion dollars. Of maybe in a lifetime or in his, I don't, I don't know if maybe he's if he's lost a hundred million, maybe maybe that means he's bet a billion dollars in his lifetime. Because that okay. was just a five year period, he lost a hundred million dollars. And this is is it all on sports or I, he playing cards or? Did I it guess say? so. I I I guess uh, you know sports or Ooh. whatever. I wow. I don't know. I yeah. I'm not a gambler. I have no interest. Yeah. Oh no, I'll I'll gamble a little bit. I, I just, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I don't have a hundred million to lose. <laughs> well no. But it, here's the thing. You know, if if you want to play a little bit, here's 
here's where people, I think, or I could see where people, I guess, go off the deep end. If if you get up, let's just say it topped out, you know, at a hundred million. You're looking back over your well, that means huge chunks at a time, right? Now, this is somebody who's a very high earner. But if but it doesn't matter. You know, money is money. And if you've lost, let's say a million, five million, and then what is your what is the next thought then? It quite often is I saw this about oh, who was it? I forget which celebrity they were talking about, but the idea was, well, I gotta get it back. Oh. That's where you would make a mistake. Oh, it was Larry Flint. And he, you know, I mean, anybody with money, they're automatically a high roller if they're going to play. If they're not playing and they got a ton of money, you know, I mean, if they're playing and they got a ton of money, they're likely betting a lot more than you and I are. And so this idea of, well, I got to go get it back. I I know, I know I'm going to win it. There was a, there was a, um, in the Sopranos, there was this, this kind of this, this poker game that they had. And they, of course it was for real money and, you know, a fictional setting, but you could see it. It was like, no, come on, come on, just float me another, whatever it was, 10,000 or whatever. And I'll buy into the card game again. And then all of a sudden you're in all of this debt. I don't know how you lose a hundred million dollars in five years. And because the, the minds it's the, because I would think it's not the addiction to the winning as much of it as it is that you can't come to terms with the losing. And there's the difference. If you say to yourself, all right, this is my entertainment budget and I'm not anywhere near a high roller. I would consider myself to be, more of a granny player. <laughs> and when you look at it and say, if you if you were to, you know, be a millionaire and then if you were a millionaire and you were betting, I don't know, the one documentary they showed on Larry Flint is that he didn't even, when he came to the resort, I forget which Vegas resort it was, he pulled up and then he's laying down 15 grand for every turn of the of the card. So it was blackjack and they let him play three hands at a time, 5 grand per 15 grand every time of every turn of the cards. Well, if you're and and then at the end of that documentary, he allowed them to show how much he lost in that one setting, but then updated it, he came back and won three times as much uh, like a few months later. Well, I think that's where you would get into the problem. Well, I lost this. I got to go get it back. If you're not looking at it as pure entertainment. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal, but man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find 
great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. I, I literally just, it, it happened recently, actually. I took a quarter and turned it into 30 bucks. And it was the funnest thing I've ever done. It's absolutely serious. 25 cents. And it was a found 25 cents. It wasn't even I, mine. I do remember the best, the greatest thrill I've ever had in gambling was, yeah. it was nickel and dime. Yeah. And the pot got up to about after... The entire night, yeah. 16 bucks. Right. And I won it. Yeah. And I was pretty stoked. But other than that, you know, the most I've ever, where have I lost the most in gambling? Mm. Radio? <laughs> no, no, I mean, actually, in oh. in gambling on, <laughs> yes, sir, my career. <laughs> <laughs> I got into radio. Yeah, I don't exactly. need to gamble money. Yeah, I right. gambled with my I life. Know about- Losses. I chose this business <laughs> no, right right here in the studio. Oh, the the Bri- when Brian, the, whenever when the lottery gets to a billion, whenever or the lottery gets yeah. up to a billion, and Brian says, "All right, guys, we're, we're doing the whole in. pool. Everybody yeah. get in." That I've lost the most, and I have no yeah. idea what that would be. I mean, yeah, you know, over, we do it what every six months or something for whenever, the last couple whenever, of years. Yeah, yeah. Whenever it gets to a billion, right. that's the most I've ever lost in gambling. <laughs> it's right here in the studio. Yeah. Uh oh. Have I just admitted something that could get me fired? We no. weren't gambling in the studio? No, we weren't gambling technically in the studio. The gambling took place when Brian went and purchased the tickets, which is legal. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. It's and, all legal. And I wasn't gambling. I was contributing to education. Yes. Yes. I was contributing to our educational system. Right. But that's right. And and besides it's all legal as long as it's the state sponsor. And and I do remember that when I went uh, one time, this goes back about 10 years ago, I went to a concert in Cleveland. Yeah. And it was right down the street. My buddy said my buddy uh, who goes to the casino once in a while. Yeah. And he's totally responsible in everything that he does in his life. Yeah. Yeah. But he was like, oh, the casino's right down the street. I go, I don't want to go down. You know, it's like, come on. After the concert, let's go down. He goes, no, you want to go down. It's the, uh, what is it, the the Busby building or the Bisbee building, the one that was in the Christmas story? Oh, yeah. Okay. The department store? Okay, yeah. He goes, that's the casino. I went, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see what it's like inside the store. Well, And, and it's, it actually looks like 
you actually go to different floors. It looks like a department store, but it's everything is gambling. It yeah. was actually really right. cool. Yeah. And I I don't know what I lost something in the one arm bandit, whatever, but we got a beer and walked around and I'm amazed by the people that are obsessed with it. I think that was actually, and when I was in Vegas one well, time, I mean, you for can, work, you, I, I was amazed. At, you I was can amazed walk at through a room, and I've I've done it before. Uh, you can walk through a room, and and you can see a great deal of uh, disappointment and and sadness. I walked through a room not too long ago, and one of the screens on the machine was punched out. Oh. That's a problem. Yeah. And so is a hundred million in five losing a hundred million in five years. That's something I can't even fathom. I wonder if that's why I wonder if that's why he joined Live. Maybe. The Saudi Oof. Arabian thing. He needed the cash. He needed to get it back. Maybe. That Maybe. was the rumor. Well, because that was the rumor you and I were kind of asking, I never, why would he, why would Phil join? Because he doesn't, uh, from what we know, he doesn't need the money. Well, I and I always thought that for Phil, what he wanted was another chance at a U.S. Open because uh, he never won it. Right. And yeah. since he had won the PGA a couple of years ago, money, good God, he could still, in, endorsements, there isn't a, there isn't, I, you, you think about it, Tiger, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Phil Mickelson. Yeah. When it comes to endorsements. Yeah. 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 And he could have had endorsements the rest of his life, probably made between even out of golf, fifty to a hundred million dollars a year. Yeah. Why did he need to go to live? Right. He wanted, and, and I don't know. I mean I maybe he was looking for that quick return with that maybe right. he thought would help him. Heal from you know that right. that whole thing well, with addiction. What would make I, I don't him, know. What would make him knowingly give up what he really wanted, which was the legacy of winning right. the U.S. Open because he'd won all the other majors. And did won. we find out? Was there even a rumor of how much he was making? What was from Liv? I didn't get. I didn't get like two hundred million. Was it okay? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, maybe 180 I or something, 180, 190 million, yeah. something, and I, that made no sense to me because he could make that up in endorsements. Might take him two or three years, but why would he do that when he wanted the U.S. Open? That's right. what he wanted. And right. He had just won the PGA Championship, yep. so he knew he still had the skills, or he, you would believe, he would think he still had the skills, even though he played horrible last mm. year for the most mm. part. Mm-hmm. So maybe he thought he was losing it. I don't know, but to me, I always thought it was the legacy of winning the big tournaments and he didn't have the, he had a PG, he had a, uh, what he's got a, uh, was it three masters, couple of PGAs, mm. uh, one, one British open, I think. Yeah. Okay. So he's got like six, I think. Six well, I mean, that guy. might explain and a so, lot, and, but he never got the U S open and he wanted the U S open the fourth major. Yeah. And so I always thought, you know, so it always was like, why did he go? Why did he go knowing mm. that not only not look, he's not stupid knowing that he wouldn't have a chance at the U.S. Open and knowing, having the distinct possibility that I'm going to lose all my sponsors, which he did. Yeah. Which were probably paying him 50, 60, 70 million a year. So why would you go for that hit all of a sudden? Gambling. You, you're In your mind, you need to earn it back. And you need to do that quickly. It's almost like... It is the same type of windfall, right? Quick fashion windfall. Yeah. 
immediate gratification, which is exactly how someone becomes how, addicted. How a, how a gambler thinks. Yep. Ah, that's a great point. Yeah. Wow. Well, that would explain it. When I $100 saw the, million. Dollars. $100 million losses in five years. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, because it, it's, if you're, if you're not addicted to it, it can be a, a very big turnoff when you're not winning. It's a horrible feeling. It's like, oh, man, I just had a hundred bucks just like an hour ago. Yeah, I really don't have any vices or addictions. Well, I do have one addiction, women, but they don't have the same addiction towards me, so that addiction is really useless. Yeah, it's not a not a two-way street. Thing. Yeah, so it's a completely useless addiction. Yeah. Because my addiction is I want women who like me. Yeah. So that's, right. that's the problem. Yeah. I remember... I was I was in a casino one time in Oklahoma with my in-laws, and they said, are you going to play? I was like, I was just walking around watching them. I was like, well, I, I guess. I sat down. I still can't tell you the machine. I have a picture of it somewhere. And I put in, you know, a 20. My third roll, I won five over five grand, $5,200. Wow. And everything stops. They have to come pay you. A few minutes later, my wife won almost the same amount of money, and they were my my brother in law was screaming at me. This will never happen again, ever happen again. And he's right, because you, it's it's just, and I still don't know what I hit on the machine. I have no idea what the game was. Wow, they just they were like, "Well, come on, sit down." Like, okay, and then they walked away. I had to call my wife. Because she had walked away. I was like, I just won five grand. She goes, no, you didn't. I said, yeah. And then a few minutes later, she wins. That never happens. If you that's think, amazing. If you think that happens, that's also how you can get in trouble. If you think you're going to win that easily. You know, I was just thinking about my woman addiction. I just realized. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for a good conservative woman. And Bobert broke up with her boyfriend yesterday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, keep looking. That would be my advice. I got one word. Beetlejuice. <laughs> it's not what she did in the theater. It's the fact that she went to see Beetlejuice. <laughs> that's true. I'm out at that point. Uh, you got to be. That's the first disqualifier right there. I really, All the other stuff is bad, too, but it starts with that, doesn't I it? I really like you. What do you want to do? I really want to go see Beetlejuice. Bye. And she's a United <laughs> States lawmaker and can't get better than the 18th row? <laughs> no. Keep looking. Let's go vape in public, Gary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, keep your hands to yourself. Oh, keep your hands over there. <laughs> I'd rather do it. I'd rather be alone for my entire life. <laughs> yeah. 866-90-RED-EYE. This morning's USDA Farm Report is brought to you by Howes Products. Tested, trusted, guaranteed since 1920. This year and next, many of us may be asking that immortal question. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Last year, the U.S. produced almost 28.5 billion pounds of beef. 28.5. The forecast for this year? Just under 27. 
billion pounds. USDA's Outlook Chairman Mark Chekanowski says the current declines in cattle numbers and beef production are expected to continue into next year with production down again in 2024 down to about 25 billion pounds, a drop of around six and a half percent from this year. So uh, supplies tightening up. Pushing steer prices up. For this year, USDA forecasting an average price 178 and a half per hundredweight. And for 2024, that's expected to increase by about $7 per hundredweight to $185.50. An increase of about 4%. We'll get more data on the cattle situation Friday when USDA releases its cattle feedlot report. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This report brought to you by Senex Fuels and Lubes. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up on the bottom of the hour, the auto strike, where it may go. Uh, just uh, a note from uh, yesterday when we were talking about uh, the fact that uh, Whole Foods and uh, Walmart in, in other grocery stores in uh, parts of uh, Chicago, uh, since they left because of crime, they couldn't make a profit, crime, mm-hmm. shoplifting, whatever, uh, that uh, the mayor of Chicago is uh, considering now uh, a government grocery store. Yeah. We figured out a name for it, the Hammer and Sickle. And thanks to our, oh, I forgot our, was it Kenny? He had just said there should be a just a hammer and sickle in front of the store. <laughs> but, and I said, what, what a great name, the hammer and sickle. Uh, the other thing is, the day after that comes out, Governor Pritzker in Illinois signs a no-cash bail. Yeah, right. Law enforcement agencies, uh, you know, tried to sue against it. A judge agreed with them that the law was unconstitutional. The Supreme Court overturned it and said it was constitutional, even noting, though, that crime is increasing. Yeah. Right. It's just, and where do you think it's going to go from here? There's only, as we have said, just like to fund the police, there's only one direction and one conclusion to all of this. Yep. More crime. More crime. It's what the people of Illinois voted for. Yep. More crime. Join the conversation. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Uh, uh, We had played, uh, I think it was last week, Lauren Summers, who was uh, economic advisor to uh, Obama. He is the one that warned the Biden administration about the possibility of inflation, saying mm, do not mm-hmm. pass the $1.9 trillion COVID bill. It's going to lead to inflation. And it did. Yeah. And he warned them. And they didn't pay attention. Last week, he talked about the auto strike and mm. said this may be the end game. They see they don't, they're trying to get whatever they can because there's a belief from the management that the unions won't be able to survive after this. 
that this is an end game kind of negotiation. And Wall Street Journal talks about it here with the head of the UAW, Sean Fain. By the way, somebody, uh, I got some people writing, well, what do they, what do the union members make? I think he makes somewhere a little over 200000 a year. I think that's what he makes. That's what the- As head of the union. Yeah, that's what the yeah. guesstimate is. Yeah, okay. There's a, there's a certain formula that you can only make a certain amount, and that's with ex- the 200000 plus is with expenses and everything else included in that. Yeah, okay. Uh, there's actually- are, they, are they allowed to do speaking engagements and things like that? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, I just, that, that's what he makes okay. from that. I, All don't, right. I don't know what he's allowed to do outside of it. Okay. But uh, they just turned down uh, 21% pay raise over four years. And they write here, he keeps citing corporate greed like a mantra, mantra, excuse me, yet it was telling this weekend when he refused to discuss the union's impact on future job creation. Asked on CBS's Face the Nation how he would make the case to Detroit automakers to invest in more expensive union shops rather than move these to right-to-work states, because that's a great argument. Mm, Yeah. You want to take, I think it's the Wall Street Journal wrote the other day, you want to take and go from $65 an hour total cost to $155. What makes you think the auto companies will agree with that instead of going to a right-to-work state? Mr. Fain ducked the question like a politician. No. UAW worker pay shouldn't be compared to how pitiful Tesla pays their workers and how other companies pay their workers. Well, it doesn't matter whether you don't think it shouldn't. Yeah, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. Right. Your opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion does not affect economics, which is... What is the incentive of the automobile companies? Correct. He added, most of these workers in these companies are scraping to get by so the greedy CEOs and greedy people like Elon Musk can build more rocket ships and shoot themselves into outer space. And they write, Mr. Fain can criticize Mr. Muck, uh, Mr. Muck, Mr. Musk. (laughs) Or Muck. (laughs) All he wants But Tesla is the chief competitor to the Detroit automakers in the government-mandated electric vehicle race. That's the reality. Corporate CEOs have to consider that, even if Mr. Fain ignores it. According to the Security and Exchange Commission disclosures, the median worker at Tesla earned $34,000 last year in total compensation. Compared to 80000 at GM, 74000 at Ford. These internal calculations include non-production level workers, as well as employees located in other countries, which in the case of Tesla includes China. Yet the U.S. accounts for a larger share of Tesla's workforce than it does for Ford. And more, a large reason for the paid disparity in Detroit is the higher retirement cost. Ford reported a $1.2 billion cost last year for its U.S. worker retirement benefits, largely defined benefit pensions, 
and retiree medical care, according to its security filings. Detroit automakers scrapped defined pension benefits and retiree medical care for new workers in 2007 as they lurch towards insolvency. But Mr. Fain wants to restore these benefits to all workers, which would create enormous new unfunded liabilities and obligations. Tesla offers its workers 401ks with contributions match up to 3000 which keeps a lid on future legacy costs. We understand the financial blow that the inflation of the last two years has been for workers and that the union wants its next contract to recover lost ground. But Ford CEO Jim Farley said last week that the UAW's demands would more than double his company's union-related labor cost and drive it into bankruptcy. The average pay for a Ford worker, this is total compensation, would be nearly 300000 for a four-day work week. I don't know if that's the truth. Total compensation, are they saying, are they pricing the benefits? Bene- yes, that's total compensation. So that's yes. okay. Benefits, pension, everything. Okay. Mr. Fain uh, insisted over the weekend that the automakers could afford such higher pay since labor makes up a small share of a car's cost. Yet labor is one of the few variables automakers can actually control, which is why Tesla and foreign automakers have tried to avoid unionization by expanding in the United States to right-to-work states. Mr. Fain is vindicating their decision. You know, one of the points they're making here, and they don't actually, you know, they actually don't go strong on it, is when, you comp- when you're comparing Tesla, even when Fain does, you're talking about producing a vehicle that can't make a profit. Yeah. They can't make a profit on it even with subsidies. And so we're talking about, you know, we're talk, you're like saying, well, 34000 that's a horrible wage to pay. Is 34000 a horrible wage to pay? And that's a median. Yeah. But is right. 34000 a horrible wage to pay when the product you're making cannot make a profit? That's the question. Right. If you're making a profit... Then you can make a case for seventy thousand or eighty. Well, the 000. entire spirit of the union is to essentially share in that profit. Yeah, exactly. You can make the case. We wish to share in the profit. What are you sharing in if the government is mandating that you make something at a loss? Yeah. Even with their subsidies. And now what the what the unions are saying is. Yeah, but they've made profit over the last 10 years. But those profits were based on the ratio of the trucks and SUVs that have been made, being made over the last 10 years. Well, I mean, not the acceleration of the electric vehicles up to two thirds of what the government wishes them to to make. Yeah. Instead of Detroit selling three percent, they want 66 percent in just a few years of electric vehicles instead of the profitable SUVs and trucks, and that's what the automobile companies are looking at, saying, we can't offer you, we can't give you this Well, guarantee. I mean, you could say, look, uh, you know, the, the, the Ford Mustang first sold for $2,500. They should have sold it for a lot more money. And now, I mean, how far back do you want to go is my point. You know, they should have looked at, at all the money they could have made. They didn't make, well, at one point, J.C. Penney was a thriving, thriving chain of stores and so was sears and kmart the point being is that this is where they are now and going forward 
what is the future of it? Because you really can't answer that question without saying, well, it's going to be the end of the big three, because it will be. The EV mandates will make sure of that. And the Democratic Party is okay with that, by the way. They're okay with manufacturing being gone. They're okay, uh, in general, with these blue-collar jobs all being gone because you guys are killing the planet. Let's see Joe Biden give a speech. I mean, I know he said some words the other day, but stand up in front of them and say what you really feel. The question comes down to this. What should the pay of an average worker be when the government mandates that a company produce a product that the public doesn't want, the public can't afford, and the company can't make a profit on? We, you, you can have a discussion on when they're producing a product that the consumer wants, the consumer can afford, and the profits are clear as to what the automobile companies are going to make. Mm -hmm. But right now, the UAW isn't looking forward. UAW isn't doing, for example, what the NFL Players Union would do, which was, here's a projected growth of the NFL over the next few years. So we want whatever they normally get, 55% of the profits or whatever. Therefore, here is the fund. Here is that amount based on the growth, the future growth, the UAW saying, let's look at past growth and the fact that we weren't rewarded for what we feel we should have gotten for past growth. Mm-hmm. And so you make it up now for future growth, even though there's going to be no future growth based on, well, they're not even throwing it out. There is no model. Nobody's throwing out the model. The only thing the automobile companies are saying, the OEMs, when they sent a letter to the Biden administration about, what, two months ago, mm. saying, this isn't sustainable. Right. You can't succeed. Right. You can't force us to make a product that we can't make a profit on. And that's what the UAW is dealing with. So when Lauren Summers said there seems to be an end game to this, is almost as if the UAW is saying, this is our last gasp to get whatever we can right now. Mm-hmm. Because it's not sustainable. That it's almost an admission by everyone, including Sean Fain, that the automobile business is a failed business model because of government interference. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, I'd like to hear the argument against what I just said. What is the argument? Because I hope there is an argument. I hope the argument would be, well, the government really isn't going to do this and they're going to allow this to happen and with trucks and SUVs and everything else out there because we're going to reverse uh, the EV mandate. Or the projection is, because you see what the projection is on... Um, on, uh, uh, you know, uh, what amount, well, you see what the mandates are. Nobody's projecting, and if they are, nobody believes in the projections of how many electric vehicles are going to be sold. Right. Nobody buys it's legit. No, no. No, it is way overinflated on the projections and way underinflated on the cost of those vehicles. Yeah. Because they can't get there now without throwing government money at it. And even then, those companies are making them and selling them at a huge loss. You know, a lot has been said about what the Ford CEO has been saying recently. And what it adds up to for a lot of people, the read is, 
man, I don't think we can make this F-150 Lightning much longer. Because they can't. The last time the OEMs were bleeding cash, the government had to step in within months and bail out at least GM. And remember, the private sector was there at the table until the government kicked them to the curb. Penske and others were there, and they wanted to negotiate to buy either parts of or all of GM. We're in a situation now that feels a lot like 2008-2009. And it's because the government is sending it there. Let's see. Unions, like, they're going to bail us out. That's That has to be the yeah. thought. They'll bail us out. They'll we're, bail we're, out our pensions. They'll bail out everything else. The, and if the Democrats right. had their way, they probably would. The banks are too big to fail. The companies are too big to fail. Therefore, the government can manipulate them yep. into bankruptcy because exactly. the same government will just bail them out we'll and just continue bail them out again and, and continue to subsidize them i could see it happening i don't know if it's going to happen i think I, they, it they wouldn't shock me that. i could see i could see it see it happening if if that happened i'd go yep sounds exactly like what we did the last time 86690 red eye coming up more with gary mcnamara and eric harley it's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. And the other thing is, uh, you're not going to stop uh, right-to-work states. You know, looking at the UAW situation and if the Democrats believe that they could by sending some type of federal law, getting rid of and it's not going to happen. You would no. probably get the votes for it. Um, then they'll go overseas. Yep, that's it. If you if they that's that's what they do. They move uh, south <laughs> usually in the U.S. and and or move somewhere uh, not in the United States. And there's no way around that. Those are the dynamics. If your labor costs are three times more, they're not going to keep producing where they produce. No. End of story. No. And, and plus, energy costs that are right. unnecessarily high, right. yeah. you know, add that to the manufacturing costs, and it's bad news. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.